Hello, folks. Dr. Maurice Selby here, medical director, producer, and co-host of Health in Harlem on WHCR 90.3 FM and the Health in Harlem podcast. While we strive to bring you the most up-to-date, reliable, evidence-based information to help you live the healthiest life possible, this show does not substitute for an evaluation by a trained and licensed medical professional. It is highly recommended that any advice or recommendations on medications, treatments, nutrition, fitness, preventive services, etc. be implemented under the guidance and supervision of your primary medical provider or appropriate specialist. With that said, we hope that you enjoy and learn from our program, and please be sure to let us know how we can best serve you in future shows. Hello, ladies and gentlemen of the listening audience. My name is Maurice Selby, MD. My name is Reed. And I'm Giorgio. And you're listening to the one and only Health in Harlem on WHCR 90.3 FM New York, the voice of Harlem and the Health in Harlem podcast. And ladies and gentlemen, we are approaching the end of the year, the start of a new one. And with that said, we are going to recap the best of 2021 when it comes to health in Harlem. Actually, I can't say the best because all of our episodes are the best. <laughs> We'd be going through each and every show. Um, but we are going to just highlight some very important programming or at least our personal um, favorite, some of the messages that we had in there, some of the takeaways, especially the takeaways, um, because we really feel that this is important when we talk about our health and well-being, some really important messages that uh, and things that we've even learned on the program here in 2021. So I'm excited, man. I'm excited. I'm a little scared about 2022 at the same time. Um, and I'll tell you why I'm scared uh, in a moment. Uh, but yeah, man, how are you guys feeling about the end of this end of this year, 2021? The beginning of the new year, you mean? Um, I'm very excited, honestly. I, I think that uh, 2021 was uh, a very challenging uh, year. And just like 2020 and um, it required a lot of growth in order to to overcome obstacles and I feel ready for 2022 and whatever uh, punches life's got lined up for us you know I just know that we're gonna roll with the punches and and keep getting stronger and uh, better informed and uh, behaving better and having better habits like flossing and mm. which we'll get into in a few minutes um, and so I'm super excited. How about you, Reed? Yeah, I agree with Giorgio. Mo, you said we're going to talk about the best of health in Harlem up to this point today. But I got to say, the best is yet to come. You know, this is going to be a big year oh, for health in Harlem. It's going to be a big yo, year for us. Got to uh, hit that applause button. I'm really button. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, that's what's up. Oh, that's a heavy hitter. You know what, though? Okay. That's why I said I'm, I'm scared and I'm excited. I'll tell you why I'm scared because not scared. I guess um, anxious is a good word, is because I think we came into 2021 with big plans and actually we've achieved and fulfilled on a lot of those big plans. Um, and I think we are always in that vein of improving right year after year. I mean, even personally, last uh, just the last program, myself and Giorgio were talking about 
um, sort of our plans going into 2022. And I told him one of my goals this year was to run 600 miles, which, um, ladies and gentlemen, okay, I'm going to fail. It's uh, December 30th right now. And I got 552 um, miles accounted for on the road. So I'm not going to hit the 600. Um, but that no, no, gives no, me, no. Tomorrow, tomorrow's a, a new day. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to run the, <laughs> the 50 miles <laughs> in a just day and end up in the in the ER somewhere. Yeah. Two marathons. You got two days. You got it. That's true, actually. 26 today, 26 tomorrow. I'm good, actually. I don't know, man. But that's what makes me nervous or anxious about 2022 because I'm like, I want to hit the thousand. That's going to be the next goal. Um, and I think what Reed was alluding to is some of our big plans on health in Harlem. Uh, and ladies and gentlemen, um, we haven't officially officially announced these things yet, but um, the Health in Harlem website um, and blog, which will be unveiled um, actually very, very shortly. And also the fact that Health in Harlem, uh, we will be a not-for-profit organization, ladies and gentlemen, dedicated to educating the community, really the world, right, on health education, healthy living, um, and especially when we talk about health literacy, dealing with those challenges um, and combating the misinformation and disinformation out there. So we got big plans, man. And I'm anxious because... (laughs) We have such big plans, but I think we are definitely in a position where we can uh, really fulfill those big plans. And so a good amount of anxiety, but I am excited, too. I agree with you, Reed and Giorgio. Definitely a lot of reasons to be um, excited as we go forward, man. And so I think we can just jump right in because I think one of the things that got us off to such a great start this year is that we had um, a true expert Um, join us to talk about probably (laughs) the topic that is at the forefront of everybody's um, thinking when when we talk about public health and stuff these days and what we're currently dealing with regarding the pandemic. We had Stephen J. Thomas, um, one of the foremost experts, when we talk about vaccine development, he was actually one of the principal investigators in the phase three trials that were being run for the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccines, the mRNA vaccines that are currently fully approved by the FDA. I'm going to just throw that out there, fully approved um, by the FDA, because at that point that we interviewed Dr. Thomas, it was just under emergency use authorization that these vaccines had just come out. I think by that time I had my one jab. So I was a week away from getting my second jab. And we had Dr. Thomas come on the program because this was such a new thing. Um, We saw the government mobilizing right to distribute the vaccine to as many people as possible at that time. It was limited to healthcare workers and individuals um, in the elderly population or that had significant comorbid illnesses. And we had a lot of questions. So we had Dr. Thomas come on and talk to us about the mRNA vaccine, specifically the Pfizer-BioNTech BioNTech vaccine, um, but really mRNA vaccines in general. And I thought it was such a an amazing program to kick the year off, um, especially when we talk about dealing with COVID, right? And that was a, a major milestone, the approval and availability of these vaccines, which um, he made the case, ladies and gentlemen. I think we made the case on that program um, with Dr. Thomas there as our expert to corroborate everything that we had been saying. 
um, and that the vaccines are safe and effective. I'm going to just say that out there. <laughs> Any questions? Safe and effective. Um, unbelievably effective. And I can testify to that um, based on pretty much everything I've experienced personally, professionally, um, and even just seeing what's happening around us regarding the COVID-19 pandemic. Did you feel that you were going to have that that uh, viewpoint towards the vaccine prior to the show? Or were you hesitant? And did, 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 was there something that was answered by the show that kind of made you feel a little bit more comfortable with it? Uh, because there was a concern that uh, was addressed. I will say that when I, I saw the data, right? And I remember the vaccines being approved. This was right at lightning speed. Um, prior estimates, and we had talked about this on that show, right? And that some of the estimates that were being thrown out there as far as when a vaccine, a working, effective, safe vaccine would be available, right? They were talking years, like years of development, years of trials and safety testing, all of this stuff. And this was done within a year, right? From the onset of the pandemic, or pretty much within a year that the vaccines were um, found to be very, very effective and safe and therefore got that emergency use authorization from the FDA. And one thing I remember reading the New England Journal of Medicine article, right, that discussed the specifics of that phase three data. And I read that paper and that 95% number that had been quoted in the media, I was like, where's that coming from? What the hell do they mean? 99, 95% effective. <laughs> And it boiled down to, right, that 18,000 in the control group and experimental arms, this was at the time of the release of that data, um, because those groups were actually larger, but 18,000 that were reported at the time in that paper, and we saw um, about eight infections, um, if I remember off the top of my head correctly, but it was about eight infections, um, right, that were in the experimental group, meaning the people that got the vaccine the mRNA vaccines in that trial, eight of them out of almost 20,000 people, eight of them got COVID-19. The other group, the control group, meaning the people that got placebo or that got a saltwater injection that was not the vaccine, right? Um, the that, that, that number was much higher as far as the number of um, cases in that particular group. Which, I mean, that was clear as far as that number, where it came from, 95%. And when we looked at who had severe COVID, right, there were 10 total patients that developed severe COVID-19 um, in that trial up to that point. And nine out of the 10 individuals were in that control group or in that group that did not get the vaccine. So for me, that was like, wow, this is extraordinarily effective. And Dr. Thomas came in and actually confirmed that essentially for me, right? And talking to him about how the trial was conducted, um, about the establishing effectiveness versus efficacy, right? Um, we talk about efficacy, we're talking about real world, like what's actually happening in the world versus the effectiveness that we see in a trial data. Um, those are bit very different things, but all of it has panned out up to this point in that the vaccines, right? Um, and this is why I say that we know that they are working because of my experience day to day working in the ER, um, the vast majority of patients from the time that the vaccines became widely available, um, and especially with the onset of all of these variants that cropped up, 
you know, we really saw um, a vast majority of the individuals ending up in the hospital complications were unfortunately unvaccinated individuals. Um, and so th there's no question at this point that these vaccines are effective and safe. So, Mo, you're, you're saying qualitatively from your own experience or you would you would say that there was a, a change in the quality of the uh, infections that you were, you know, that were being presented to you in the ED, right? Uh, was there a difference between people who were vaccinated versus unvaccinated in terms of the intensity of the infection? When we talk about the initial uh, availability of the vaccine, right, and before some of the more concerning variants that we've seen crop up recently, especially Delta um, and most recently Omicron, um, prior to the rise of these variants, they were very few break. We saw breakthrough infections, but very few and far between. And the thing that I noted too was that even if those individuals had breakthrough infections, they tended to be pretty mild, right? Um, sometimes we would find out even that you know they weren't. We weren't even looking for that. They had to test for another reason. And it turned out to be um, positive, but that was very few and far between. With the emergence of some of the recent variants, Delta and Omicron especially, um, we know, right, that there can be breakthrough infections, meaning individuals that have been fully vaccinated still acquiring the viral infection with SARS-CoV-2, right? That's something that we, we now understand, and we've seen an increase in those numbers um, or numbers of individuals that have been vaccinated right, coming down with these infections. But again, that from what I saw earlier still holds and that a lot of the individuals coming in with breakthrough infections have pretty mild illness. Um, they are not often not being admitted to the hospital, right, because they are not meeting those requirements or those criteria for severe COVID-19. The individuals that are and usually, right, these are going to be older individuals or individuals with a lot of other medical problems that with breakthrough infections, they might wind up needing hospitalization for one reason or another. Overall, and I'm saying even for those individuals, those increased vulnerable individuals, the elderly, individuals with medical problems and healthy individuals that have been vaccinated, um, they are largely very protected um, when it comes to severe disease from COVID-19, um, even up to this day, even we talk about Omicron, right? And we know we see it all around us um, in the media. We see it in the data that there are breakthrough infections and increased number of breakthrough infections. Um, but still, it holds that individuals that are unvaccinated stand a much higher chance of having complications from an infection with Omicron um, versus those that are vaccinated. All in all, the, yeah. Uh, in summary, are safe, safe and effective. And effective, and we, we the recommendations exactly. really, even in the face of Omicron, which we know is extraordinarily contagious. Um, we are talking about you know measles is the most infectious or most contagious disease known to man. Right? If ten people were exposed to measles, nine out of those ten individuals would come down with the infection. Right? We're talking about unvaccinated individuals exposed to something like measles, nine out of 10 would come away with that infection. This is approaching those numbers, <laughs> this Omicron thing, right? That's out there. That is the biggest concern. Now, there's some reports out there. You hear people talking about milder illness, right? Some data coming out 
talking about maybe this being um, a milder um, variant when it comes to virulence or the severity of the disease that it can cause. Um, but still, one thing I want to get out there, ladies and gentlemen, is that because it is so extraordinarily contagious, right, and because we know that there will always be a fraction of individuals that will have complications from this illness, and I'm talking about both those vulnerable populations, um, the elderly, people with medical problems, people with immune deficiencies, right, they are at increased risk of having complications from this illness, uh, but also healthy individuals, because I can tell you, I saw a ton of healthy young people being hospitalized um, from COVID, um, especially with the Delta variant. Um, but right, those were unvaccinated people. And so the message still stands, right? The recommendations up to this point have not changed. We need to get vaccinated. If you have not been vaccinated up to this point, get boosted if you have been fully vaccinated. Continue to wash your hands, <laughs> which I think is a recommendation that for the for eternity, we should be washing our hands um, very well, especially after coming to the bathroom. Right, let me not go on a tangent, right, and just talk about the just the uncleanliness. I wish we could take like and show feces on people's the microscopic fecal uh, matter on people's hands when they don't wash their hands. I'm just trying to make that case that that should always have been <laughs> the recommendation um, <laughs> will be for the for the rest of time. Like wash your hands, bro. How can you eat a sandwich like or a pizza, a slice of pizza? Talking about New Yorkers listening to this show. You want to eat a nice slice of pizza, but think about the fecal matter that might. All right, all right I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not going to mess up people's appetites and stuff. <laughs> washing their hands, employing social distancing. Um, those are the things that we can do. Yeah. And I think just to pivot a little bit, I think at this point in the year, uh, during Christmas break and New Year's, a lot of people are in the city are becoming concerned. You know, I'm going to have to send my kids back to school soon, you know, and with Omicron everywhere in the city, uh, that's that's definitely a concern that they're going to go back to school in person and they're going to bring it back to their family. But like we said before, masked social distancing and now people over the ages of five are now eligible for the vaccine. Uh, and I believe if you go to any New York City testing site, you can get a hundred dollar incentive. Uh, it's going to take three to five weeks to come to you in the mail, but that would be a nice little present once you forget about it. And then to four do weeks the right later, thing. your mail. Exactly. Yeah. But again, schools can be some of the safest places in the city uh, if we you know approach it correctly. And it sounds like they are. Uh, both de Blasio and Eric Adams got together and released a sort of a, a new ramped up testing agenda for New York City schools. They're going to be doubling in-person testing, randomly testing, um, and they're going to be sending home and disseminating tons and tons of take-home kits for you guys to use at home. If you have a take-home kit at home, you wake up, you have the sniffles, a sore throat, you feel sore, something that could be a symptom, uh, go ahead and take one of those kits before you stand hours online at a testing site, you know? And if that comes back positive, then stay home. I think that's very important that, like, this is the time in the pandemic where we've accumulated so much information over the past couple of years on our own personal behaviors on how to, you know, prevent the spread. Uh, and this is mm -hmm. the time to show how much we've learned, be safe and prevent the spread of everything. Speaking of spread, uh, I, I think one of my favorite shows for this uh, year 
uh, was actually when we had uh, Dr. Morales and Dr. Holden from Mentoring in Medicine uh, join us to to speak about how they were able to design a, a program that I was actually a part of to be able to recruit students across the, the country. And I, I believe there were some international students even uh, who took part in it to create a social media campaign to disseminate health education about COVID. So the way that they were able to um, see the that there was disinformation being spread, identify that mm-hmm. issue, and come up with their own solution and bootstrap it together and recruit people to be able to counteract that. And uh, it took them very little resources to do other than sheer willpower and um, the, the persistence to actually make it come to fruition. But the result was an exponential growth in education and health education with information that has been vetted based on evidence uh, that's presented in peer-reviewed journals. So you have uh, vetted information being spread by people in your family, your friends, you know, your coworkers, the same people that would just as easily be spreading disinformation. And in the same way that you trust those people, and that might be the reason why that kind of information might spread further. Now you have that opposite force of, of real information that's going to help the community being spread. And to me, that was super important because definitely lines up with our uh, our, our mutual goals here at Health in Harlem. But on a um, on a larger note, I, I, I think that it was uh, really impressive to me to see what people can do um, even without you know a, a ton of resources in order to make an impact and how many hundreds of people and then therefore in the next iteration, thousands of people were impacted uh, by the work of these people uh, and, and experts that decided to volunteer their time to make something like that possible. So I think that uh, it was, it was uh, very important for us to have them on the show. And, and to me, that stood out. And it definitely inspired me to want to keep going with this and and keep pushing because, uh, again, it's an exponential uh, growth either way. So you can either be a part of the solution or you could be a part of the problem. And, you know, I know it's tempting all these CDC memes that are going around on social media right now. Um, and I definitely understand the general concern. I definitely have laughed at a lot of them. Like I saw one today, the CDC recommends that you release your inhibitions and dance in the rain, you know, like just silly stuff. Um, but uh, on a serious note, I mean, you know, that's that's the nature of science. That's the nature of medicine. Uh, things are going to change. And just like we did, we had no, you know, no information about COVID-19 prior to uh, the infection actually hitting um, and starting to spread. As we gain information, we have to change the course of action and the way that we deal with it. Um, and so, yeah, it's not that they don't know what they're doing. It's not that they change their mind every day. It's that as evidence comes up, we make better informed decisions. And so we change what's recommended. Um, and that's something that I think you got that, that the general public, including myself should be happy about, um, because imagine we were being rigid about something that's changing. Uh, it doesn't really make sense. Um, Doesn't and imagine work. we were, 
Yeah, and imagine we were changing the protocols and changing the uh, the guidelines on a regular basis as little pieces of information that are inconclusive come out rather than taking in lots of data and making an informed decision and saying, moving forward, this is our new guidelines because of X, Y, Z. There's always a logical uh, deduction for how they get there. So, um, yeah, I, I think that an approach like what uh, Dr. Morales and Dr. Holden uh, put together, along with the rest of the team, um, is was, was super uh, successful. And I definitely look forward to seeing similar campaigns ran and uh, seeing the positive side of how um, virality in the social media sense, uh, for lack of a better word, um, can actually be a positive thing if used correctly. It's a powerful tool. And, um, mm. you know, these podcasts, uh, the infographics, uh, the text that you send your friends, uh, all of the, the, the conversations you have, all of that, that information uh, that you're spreading, you, you have to be responsible for that and, and uh, make sure that you're, you're actually uh, spreading the most um, valuable and vetted information because it, it has an impact on literally the livelihood of others. Um, so, yeah, I took mm. that one home for sure. And it's definitely resonated with me uh, since that show. Yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely glad you mentioned that, man, because people can be empowered. Um, and I think that's one thing that we've always talked about in this program is that, you know, we want you to share information. But as you perfectly said, you have to be careful about what we're sharing in our communities, because and we know, I think um, it's been pretty well established that the majority of information, false information out there and even misinformation is coming from trusted people. Right. It's being shared in small circles. Um, of people that trust one another, people that have love for one another, people that want to um, share information with the other person's best interest in mind. Um, so they might not knowingly be sharing um, the wrong stuff, right? And so I think it, it's, it really goes two ways. One, um, sharing reliable information. And we've talked about that on Health in Harlem, how to spot uh, quackery <laughs> right, versus real evidence-based um, reliable information from credible sources, um, there are ways in which we can spot that. If they're trying to sell you something, right? If they tell you, don't take your COVID vaccine, take this uh, pill instead that's not FDA approved or has not been studied by anyone and they're selling it to you for $9.99. Matter of fact, it might even be a monthly shipment of this stuff. <laughs> they, you're probably being had. I got to put it out there, right? There's probably um, another motive for that individual putting that information um, out there. If they're telling you to vote for somebody and giving you this information, there's probably a motive behind that. And really looking at who's putting this information out there, what is their purpose, what do they potentially gain um, from, from them putting this information out? Are they asking for something from you in return, right? Um, whether it be your information or the information of others um, in your network, um, those are things that we need to be, right? Antennas need to go up when we see that. Um, and not share that information. Um, and sometimes, really, if just stuff just sounds outright ridiculous, um, probably better off betting that, right? Looking further into it before you say, I'm going to share this uh, with those around me. And when people do share things that you know to be nonsense, right, um, you got to speak up and, and 
call that out and refer them to what you know to be a credible source. And so with that said, you can always refer um, or reference Health in Harlem and point people to Health in Harlem, because I can guarantee you <laughs> that what we're saying is right that evidence-based, reliable information that we, we want to get out there to you all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one of those shows you could refer them to, uh, one of my personal favorites was the show that we did about oral health this year. Uh, we had on two of Giorgio's good friends, uh, Doctors Joseph, uh, husband and wife duo. They're awesome. Um, and I had such a good time talking to them. Um, no, that was great. Yeah. Oral health is incredibly important. And a gr- there's a growing body of evidence that has revealed links between bad or- oral health, um, specifically periodontal gum disease, to several chronic illnesses throughout the body, including diabetes, heart disease, and stroke. And they're finding that some of the bad bacteria that's found in your mouth is found in different infections all throughout the body, including the heart, in your stomach, in your intestines, all that stuff. So oral health is incredibly important. And that's why I made that one of my goals this year. Uh, I, I really did take good care of my oral health this year. But something this is something I learned from the show, from the doctors, um, as much as you want, you can just decide one day to start flossing, start brushing your teeth, uh, using the correct method. Uh, if you want to learn the correct method, check out our show. We talk about it. But like if you want to clean your room, you can't just decide, hey, I'm going to stop throwing more clothes on the floor of my room. You know, <laughs> you need to you need to like take a day and pick up all the clothes that are already on the floor of your room. And then from there, mm-hmm. continue to maintain that cleanliness, you know? Because you're not going to see your carpet if there's clothes on your floor and you just decide, I'm not going to put any more clothes there. Um, and mm-hmm. so same as that, if you decide to just start brushing your teeth and taking good care of your oral health, that's not enough. You need to go to a dentist and get a, a cleaning to set yourself back to that baseline clean. And then from there, you can maintain this. Um, mm-hmm. And this is especially important in the new year, personally, uh, because when it comes to insurance, I'm allowed a cleaning every six months by my insurance. So that's what I'm going to do. If you wait too long, say I wait till July to get my first cleaning, Mm. then I can have my next cleaning six months after, which means I haven't used my insurance to the fullest extent. I'm only going to be able to get one cleaning that year. So in the start of the new year, this is the time to make yourself an appointment for that cleaning so that later on in the year after six months pass, you have time to get your next cleaning. Um, and you don't fall behind on that cleaning schedule. That was big brain center. Mm, and you like, maximize your insurance. Yeah, That's what's up. I've I spent a lot it. of time it. lately dealing with insurance. And I can tell you, get the max out of it because they're getting the max out of you. They're trying to. Really. <laughs> mm, no, that's right. You're being charged every month, right? Especially for private insurance, man. So you got to get every dollar that you, you are owed or every dollar that that insurance is worth. With that said, I'm going to move on to another program um, that I think we've really got some important information out there, especially when we talk about prevention, ladies and gentlemen, not just awareness, um, but prevention. And that was our colorectal cancer awareness program. Um, we had that with another couple, right? A uh, physician couple, the doctors Balagoon. Um, they are oncologists um, by training. Um, and specifically with training in radiation oncology and also also um, gastric malignancies, right? Or gastrointestinal, sorry, gastrointestinal 
uh, cancers. And we talked about just the importance of understanding that the incidence, right, the occurrence of colon cancer, colorectal cancer is increasing, especially in younger individuals, ladies and gentlemen. This has been a trend uh, for the last few decades, um, and it's something that we've seen take um, very special individuals in our society away from us. Um, we're talking celebrities, unfortunately, passing away from this. And this is something that is totally preventable in many cases. And so really, some of the major take-home messages from that program um, was that we need to know what is going on, right? And how do we know what's going on? We need to know, one, our risk factors, especially when we talk about things like family history. Um, family history of colon cancer, especially in individuals that were first degree relatives, so your parents or your siblings, right, being diagnosed with colon cancer, that increases your risk of developing colorectal cancer. Um, other risk factors um, include inflammatory bowel disease, um, so things like ulcerative colitis or Crohn's disease. Um, there are things such as smoking that can increase your risk substantially. Um, and there's even, even dietary factors and other lifestyle factors like physical activity, right, that can lead to an increased risk of developing colorectal cancer. Now, the reason why I said this is something that is totally preventable is because we can literally nip this disease in the bud. And by saying that, I mean that there are these little pre-cancerous growths that can grow in the colon called polyps. And they can be taken out, ladies and gentlemen, miraculously taken out. Well, I don't want to say miraculously, but it's not very, um, <laughs> very much a miracle other than them taking a scope and putting it um, in your behind and going up to the large intestine and taking these polyps out. I mean, it sounds mechanically <laughs> invasive. It is invasive. Um, it is something that, um, you know, unfortunately, we can't get around it, but it is the definitive therapy, when we talk about nipping it in the bud, right, taking those polyps out well before they become um, a threat to you in terms of becoming cancer, right, we can take those out if you get a colonoscopy. And that is why the United States Preventive Services Task Force recommends screening for colorectal cancer in all adults aged 45 to 49 years of age. You got to get, once you hit that 45th birthday, Right. In addition to making it rain in the club or in addition to I don't know what else do people do on their birthdays these days? Well, probably not raining, making it rain in the club because of uh, COVID. Um, but whatever mm -hmm. you choose to do, um, another thing that needs to be part of your celebration is to get your colonoscopy, um, because really it goes goes back to pretty much what Reed said. Right. Um, you if you make that that resolution to not put clothes on your floor. Well, guess what? Get the clothes that are already on the floor up, <laughs> meaning get your colonoscopy. They nip those polyps and they'll tell you, hey, we found none. You're good. You don't have to come back for five to 10 years, right? That's great. Um, sometimes they might find a polyp um, and that could determine whether or not you need to come back sooner, but you don't know until you go, right? You don't know your risk. You don't know what needs to happen um, in the future as far as future screenings. Uh, without that initial study. So 45 to 49 years of age, you got to get in and get that colonoscopy done for individuals that have that family history. This is why this becomes very important, knowing what's going on with our family, 
Um, knowing the things that run in our families um, is critically important because for individuals that have a relative that had colon cancer diagnosed, those individuals are recommended to get a colonoscopy 10 years before that diagnosis was made in that family member. And I'll give you a perfect example. My father was diagnosed with colon cancer um, in his early 40s. And so that means that, right, that meant that Maurice Donovan Selby had to get his colonoscopy, not at 45 years of age, um, but I went in to get my colonoscopy at 36. I was probably a little late, actually, um, but went in and got it done, right? I got it done, um, found that I had one polyp, right, that was removed. So I don't got to worry about that. I have peace of mind that that thing is gone, um, will not become cancer because it was taken out. And I have to follow up again. I actually have another appointment scheduled um, in mid-January to have another colonoscopy done, checking for polyps or any any other changes um, so that whatever is going on down there, right, um, we're on top of it and we can deal with it. That is the key, ladies and gentlemen. We're talking about something that can literally be cured before it becomes a problem. So with that said, know I, about colon cancer and we need to get screened. Definitely. And I think that a lot of people sort of got caught up in the COVID craziness and have been forgetting to go to their primary care physician for a physical or going and getting something checked out, et cetera. But with colon cancer, it's the same thing. If you were to find a mysterious lump in your breast or say a mole on your arm started growing and its margin started looking a little weird, those are things that you'd be concerned about and you'd go to a doctor and you'd get them checked out. Colon cancer is the same thing, except you can't see the inside of yourself. You need to go and get that preventative maintenance to find out if there's something going on there. And one last thing to add to that is that, unfortunately, um, just as we know of some other silent killers that we have spoken about on this program, um, such as hypertension, right? Unfortunately, this is one of those diseases that we don't know is a problem until it's too late. Right. So we're not going to wait to have this mysterious abdominal pain develop. We're not going to wait until we have this unexplained constipation or difficulty with our stools. We're not going to wait until we see blood in our stool. Right. That's scary. I don't want to see that ever come out of me. Um, and so that's the reason, another reason that we need to get this test done. We need to be on top of it. We need to know our family history. We need to know our risk factors and mitigate those risk factors. And finally, we need to get screened so that we can literally nip it in the bud. That was corny, but it's true. No, no, that was a good pun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like people people treat their cars better than they do their bodies. Um, I mean, maybe mm. not as relevant of an analogy in in New York City, but you know, people will hear a car oh, sound. It's car culture down to, here. Yeah, yeah, they'll definitely go to a mechanic. They hear a car sound. They get a light that that blinks on. They'll go immediately. They're scared about that car problem. Immediately, no uh, delay. And they'll go, they'll go and get their car inspected regularly and whatever. But when it comes to their own body, uh, that, that takes them a lot further than their car. It seems that people, including myself, I am people, you know, uh, it, it's, it's usually oh, like, I'll here. be able, I'll, I'll be like, oh, I'll postpone that one. Uh, that sounds expensive. <laughs> but then you realize <laughs> no, what, that, what that does, it, it builds up. Like, for instance, with that dental health show. I, I was asking about cavities and uh, Dr. Doctors Joseph uh, were, were telling me that, uh, you know, that cavity that you don't take care of could end up costing you five, three to five thousand dollars 
for a tooth to be removed and a crown to be placed. And forever, you'll never have the same sensation or the same structural stability to your teeth. And it all could have been prevented by regular screenings, regular cleanings, and uh, visits to the dentist. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it definitely resonates with me. We, we, we have to take better care of ourselves. Uh, which is basically what we reiterate every single episode of Health in Harlem. Uh, in a, in addition to, t- to to developing better habits like exercising, better habits like eating better, um, meditating, controlling your stress, these are going to be things that will be uh, preventative, and it's almost like a, a, a reverse risk factor. So instead of hmm. things that accumulate that add up to a diseased state, you can do things every day where it's like picking up a, a, a piece of clothing off of the, the rug instead of it getting to a point where you have half your closet on the floor. So if you do some a little mm. bit every day, it never becomes cumbersome because once you get into running every day, you know, you might not be running 600 miles like, like Mo, but uh, you'll get to a point where it's addictive and it feels good and your body knows that it feels good and you're going to want to keep doing it in the same way that those bad habits are going to feel good immediately, like in the instant, but down the road, they start to make you feel like crap. And, you know, you'd really, you, you, you can definitely feel it if you were, uh, if you took a moment to, to think about how your body is acting, how you're performing, how you feel, your mental health, um, because there are indicators. We don't have that check engine light, but we definitely have mm. other indicators. And, you know, we just have to pay attention to them and see how well we feel when we drink that proper amount of water, when we sleep that, that proper amount. You know, these guidelines are, are, are based off of evidence from hundreds of years or thousands of years of research, you know? Uh, so I, I think that takeaway of all the years of health in Harlem is do the right thing so that you don't have to worry about the thousands of ways that things could go wrong. Um, or, yeah. or at least, not, I can't say can't worry, but at least you knew that you did your best. And at least you knew that, uh, you know, the, the nurture part of nature and nurture was taken care of as much as possible and you prevented as much as you possibly could have. Giorgio, and you're giving me like the perfect jumping off point for my next topic that I wanted to bring up, which was the show that we did on suicide prevention and mental health. Um, And, you know, just like taking care of your body, you got to take care of your mind. And I know it's easier to, to put things off, especially when you're dealing with insurance and all sorts of craziness in the, in the world. Let me talk about me personally. I, started seeing a psychiatrist this year after some anxiety and I'm feeling a lot better, but my That's experience yourself. is changing this year. And so that means I need to find a new psychiatrist and I need to make a bunch of calls and find out if they accept my insurance and do all the things that I know are going to be so frustrating and deal with the system that has frustrated me before. But again, you got to take preventative care of yourself because otherwise it can just spiral out of control. Thankfully, you know, New York City has a lot of great resources that you can use um, for mental health, uh, specifically NYC Well, too. If, check out their website. Um, they also have a hotline. They have mobile crisis teams. Um, they're available to text, to call mm. any time of day. 
Um, we did it. We mentioned it in a show before too. Um, but NYC Well really does an awesome job. Uh, the suicide hotline number is one eight hundred two seven three talk, which is eight two five five. There's other numbers that you can text. There's crisis teams that they can send out to your apartment, um, and they can visit you in your home. You know, it's it's really time to take care of yourself if you've been putting it off, because you know we're headed for you know still more periods of isolation. It's not all over yet. Um, so it's definitely going to get a bit worse before it gets better. Mm. And the thing is, too, as always, ladies and gentlemen, we're coming from a position of empowerment, right? There are so many things that we can do to build resilience in our life. We've talked about it um, in the, on this program uh, many times. It is something that we will continue to bring to you as much as we can, right? Almost each and every week on Health in Harlem. And, and actually, the reason why I bring this up is because one of those things, and actually Reed mentioned it, and even Giorgio, um, was the importance of physical activity, um, right? Because this is something that has extraordinary benefits, ladies and gentlemen, extraordinary benefits. And I'll, I'll flash back. At the start of the pandemic, I was quarantined with one of my good friends and mentors, Dr. Rob Gore. It was a very stressful time. My wife was pregnant. His wife was pregnant. We were in the midst of, or at the very beginning of this pandemic, had very little information about everything, um, including our own safety, right? How, what was going to happen to us? We're at risk. We have the potential of not only getting sick ourselves, but also getting our family sick. And so we had to go on quarantine. Quarantine for approximately 10 weeks. And I will tell you that in addition to um, we did do our share of Netflix binging, kind of, um, we also were working out. And I will tell you, right, going into that situation um, was definitely not the happiest person in the world, was definitely among the most stressed I felt like in the world, um, in the world of very stressed people at the time. But I remember Rob turning to me like, yo, man, you want to work out? And I looked at him like he was crazy. Um, I will tell you, if I was with anybody else, I probably would have been having a whiskey, a glass of whiskey, maybe nightly, which is not a great thing. Um, But it probably would have been a very different circumstance is what I'm saying. But we worked out. We did resistance training. That's where my running habit really, for the most part, got started. I was, you know, became more serious about my running because after those workouts, I felt so good. I cannot tell you how good. Um, I really can't express to you how I felt after those runs or after we um, trained in jujitsu. He's, he's training in jujitsu. He's a beast. And so he's putting me all in, in all types of locks and stuff, teaching me the moves too. But <laughs> for the most part, I was getting, I was getting yoked up. Um, but that activity was crucial. And that is why you've probably noticed over the last year, Um, And change, we've been focusing a lot on talking about the importance of physical activity. Um, We talked about cardiorespiratory fitness, ladies and gentlemen, how important it is to get that aerobic exercise. But this year, we also talked about the benefits of resistance training um, in our program titled Resistance Revolution. And the reason why it was the Resistance Revolution, or at least this is something that has been coming up uh, in the fitness world recently, is because it was always thought that a lot of the health benefits we see when we talk about physical activity, right? We see them coming from aerobic activity, but there has been 
um, an unbelievable amount of research um, coming out lately that really show resistance training to be just as beneficial um, in terms of your overall health and well-being, even mental health, right? That resistance training being very, very important in establishing um, a healthy lifestyle. And so that's why I had to get that. That was the difference maker for me, right? <laughs> being stressed out, um, potentially sad and, and even depressed. Um, that was something that factored hugely into me building that resilience, right? Um, not only improving my VO2 max, I like, I'm, I brag about it kind of. No, I don't brag about it, but I'm just saying um, I've definitely seen tangible gains or at least based on my, you know, fitness tracker and stuff. Um, but I feel better. I can tell you that I can run much farther and much faster than when I initially started. Um, when it comes to doing tasks around the house, everything from taking out the garbage to carrying around my daughter and playing with her and being active, um, I just feel so much better. And on those days when things get tough um, and we're dealing with challenges in the household or even challenges at work, I'm telling you that one of my go-to my go-tos in terms of dealing with those challenges, dealing with that stress um, is getting this physical activity. Um, and so it's just one of those things that we really need to um, make a priority in our lives. And I'm not saying everybody has to get a gym membership. I'm not saying everybody has to go out and buy a weight bench. Um, there are many ways in which we can get this physical activity in everything from calisthenics. So using our body weight, right, as that resistance push-ups. Um, doing things like squats, right? Free free weight squats. Um, also doing body weight squats. There are so many ways in which we can get this physical activity in and benefit and benefit. You know, I'll tell you guys, actually, the thing that I found really interesting from that show um, was that a single regimen of exercise, a single session of resistance training right? The metabolic effects, the metabolic changes and benefits that we see in a body can last for like three days, right? So that revved up metabolism that everybody talks about when they work out and stuff, we're talking about not that isolated episode where you get that boost, right? But also for the next few days, you get that revved up metabolism. Um, and even if you continue that training, especially as you grow more muscle mass, that metabolic rate continues to go up and can lead to um, significant weight loss, especially when we talk about truncal fat, right? There um, can be various places where your body can store fat. And one of the most worrisome places is in and around the belly, right? That midsection, kind of right where you develop your beer belly, all the dads out there. Um, mine tries to creep up, but I fight it back. <laughs> but anyway, there's this... this um, visceral fat that can develop this visceral adiposity that you can't even see sometimes, but that has been shown to be a major risk factor. And we talk about the development of metabolic syndromes, um, hypertension, obesity, and heart disease, right? That has been known to be or shown to be a major source of those medical problems. And so getting rid of that truncal fat um, is crucial. And one way in which we can do this is with this resistance training. Um, and so definitely check out that episode, ladies and gentlemen, because a lot of pointers in there, a lot of great information um, and really just something to, you know, as we move into this new year, right? If there's any new habit, habit that I think we need to establish, including myself, right? I've been hitting the ground and getting a lot of that, that um, cardiorespiratory exercise, that aerobic activity in 
Um, and I've been, you know, lifting here and there and doing a couple little resistance things there, but I've definitely made it a point that I'm going to increase that level of activity or that type of activity um, as we go, because the health benefits, right, are so important. They're so amazing. Um, and then the, the cherry on top, man, is just that you look better, you feel better, um, in addition to all the other changes and benefits that you reap from that, including everything from reduction in heart disease, cardiovascular disease, metabolic syndrome, certain cancers can be reduced, um, including colorectal cancers, right, from increased activity and exercise. So we always got to make that plug each yeah. and every week on Health in Harlem. It's the magic pill. And the magic, the magic pill. pill. And, and you'll sleep better, which will make you feel better too. And you'll burn off that. Yeah, your sex life will be better. Sex life better. Better everything. Man, I'm telling you, the benefits um, are just, you know, it's just so many benefits. We know you're good. Second kid this year. (laughs) You're a mess. No, I only got two, man. What are you trying to say? I'm I'm working on three. But anyway, no, I mean, listen, in terms of it just benefits you in so many ways, including, and and this was, that's why it was the perfect segue from, um, right, suicide prevention, um, and really, when we talk about mental well-being, right, is that the benefits from the mental health standpoint have been, you know, un, uh, almost unparalleled. When we talk about um, stress reduction, when we talk about improving our mood, stabilizing our mood, right, this has been shown to be unbelievably effective at very little cost. Right. It might. I mean, the, the cost is that you got to work yourself. So you might have to work up a little sweat. It can hurt sometimes or um, you might feel a burn when you're working out and stuff. Um, but that feeling, those endorphins that we've talked about in the past. Right. These little chemicals that are floating around your brain and and, uh, you know, being um, transferred from your neurons in our brains. These things are real. OK. And I can testify to that. The research, the literature shows that this is real, that boost that you get, um, kind of even that like dopamine hit that you get from other pleasurable activities, that stuff is real um, when it comes to physical activity. And it's something that I think we should really try to um, encourage. And, you know, in terms of living a healthy lifestyle, there's almost no way you can do that without increasing your physical activity, period. I was just going to say that I, I can definitely say. attest to that. And and this year, I feel like I've been the most consistent uh, with my exercise. And uh, it, it's it's reaped a lot of benefits for me. Uh, and, and it's now to the point where I can't imagine my life without it. And it started off, you know, just like every other year where I'm like, okay, this year is the year. Monday, next week, you know, there was always a, a procrastination to... It's going to come like I'm going to have that change coming. And then, uh, you know, from from our programs, we've kind of learned that that's not how we work. And from probably our experience, we know that a lot of times we BS ourselves and we have to be real with uh, what it takes. And if you're not doing it now, you're not going to be doing it in the future. Chances are like so. You, you, you have true, but I think last year, sorry to interrupt, sure. but I think last year, an important part of our New Year's resolution uh, show was also saying, you know, don't get too hard on yourself if you don't reach those goals. Um, the more important thing is instead of giving up and getting frustrated at yourself to sort of reinvigorate yourself uh, 
about reaching those goals. Oh, yeah, yeah Reed, I, I was mm. definitely going to kind of say that. I, I wanted to say that every day is a chance to recommit, that it's not a, something where you have to for wait sure, yeah. for the new year to make this massive change. And then the, the best things are the small changes that lead up to that moment where you can do everything mm. you have in your mind that, oh, this new me is going to do X, Y, and Z. And don't come up with a plan where you're going from zero to 100 real quick. It's cool to just make it where you're taking the stairs to work. You're walking uh, a little bit, you know, and, and take these gradual kind of changes to get to a point. Like, don't think about, oh, I'm going to go six days a week to the gym. Just go. Just go. Don't make the plan yet. Just go. And before you know it, if you do it consistently every day, you'd say, you know what? I'm going to go now instead of saying this week, I'm going to go seven times, you know, uh, and you look at the week and you're like, OK, I went four times. Let's try and make it five. And you could get to the same exact point, but in a more positive way, just like Reed was saying, because you feel like you're making a difference and you're focusing on the th the positive changes you've made and how you feel about it rather than putting an, uh, a goal up on the wall that uh, is going to make you feel frustrated because it's so different from your current behavior. Mm. And you could definitely change those habits to get there. Just kind of, you know, reward yourself for making the changes every day. So if you guys are listening, go floss today. Don't worry about tomorrow, you know, and if you flow, if you get up tomorrow and you decide or make that make that cleaning appointment today, exactly. you know, pick up that phone, mm. call your dentist. Exactly. Go run t uh, a marathon like like Mo. Uh, <laughs> a marathon. You know, whatever. It, <laughs> but, you know, I whatever it is, it, it, I think it's it's, it's mm. New Year's Eve fun. run. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, you can you can commit every day and uh, just by making those choices on a daily basis. That's how those habits form in the same way that you can form a negative habit by making the wrong choices on a day-to-day -day basis, you think, oh, it's just one day. And then the next day you do it again. And before Ooh. you know it, you have a habit. Mm -hmm. And we are creatures of ha of habit. It's just who we are. So um, just like social media, I think that we need to be aware of uh, what can happen and how this tool can go either way and push towards the positive outcomes. And I think that we, we're all, you know, we all have it in us to make the right decisions and the information is there and we know it and we know that it's a little bit harder up front to make the right choices, but it's made a world of a difference for me to just start exercising regularly. I've had better focus. I've had better mental health. I've been in a better mood. I've been able to sleep better. I've been able to wake up better. I'm now excited. Like right now I'm thinking about the gym and I'm excited to go to the gym after this show because I know that I'm going to get my heart rate up. I'm going to be listening to my favorite music. I'm going to be listening to motivational mm. speeches, to health in Harlem. You know, I'm going to be getting education That's in while up. I'm moving my body. And then after that, I'm in the shower and I'm getting thousands of thoughts because my mind is clear. My cognition is better. I'm thinking about that meal that I'm about mm. to have that that that's about to be 10 times better than than it normally is because i'm hungry i earned it um and you know you it, earned it, it and just, your body it's needs addicting. it yeah and it's just as addicting to do the right thing and that dopamine 
is going to feel so much better with the serotonin, with the oxytocin, reduction of your cortisol, that all is going to happen from doing the right things. And it might not be hmm. as cheap and quick of a, of a change, but these things that, uh, that you do to maintain yourself and to improve yourself will be more fulfilling down the road and will allow you to keep enjoying health in Harlem for even longer. And you could keep sharing it with your children and the next generation and uh, your friends and family. So um, ultimately, we hope that you do decide to join us on this journey of, of doing the best for ourselves. And, uh, you know, hopefully we could keep bringing you the information to empower you to do so with you and your families and build the right habits. And I think that's all that I could hope for for this year. I think wrapped up this year just like these other years have kind of really reinforced that idea for us um, here at Health in Harlem. And we hope you, the listeners at home, feel the same way. And uh, we can't wait to for, for another amazing year together. Uh, 2022 should be fun. Oh, man, that's crazy. We'll see you all in 2022, ladies and gentlemen. Um, and yes, I, I agree 1000% with Giorgio um, that we definitely have much more coming for you in this coming year and with that said um, we also want you to right let us know how we can inform you how we can educate you going forward what you want to know what questions you have um, show ideas we are as we always say we, we want this to be an open dialogue um, with you we don't want to talk at you we don't want to talk down to you in any way we want this to be an open dialogue between health in harlem and you the listening audience and with that said ladies and gentlemen this show as always is dedicated to the memory of miss gloria thomas um also i want to shout out to um reed as well thanking reed for joining us um, on this program as we say goodbye to 2021 we want to shout out the rest of the health in harlem team that's what's up no always glad to see you man and and looking forward to um next week actually <laughs> next week 2022 i can't believe it <laughs> um also shout out to michael holmes to anastasia uh, we also want to shout out um ben suferi and ashley um just an amazing group ladies and gentlemen and as always we will be back next week harlem take care of yourself